Welcome to the Healthy Pickleballer Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lee. Today, I'm joined by Mitchell Chapman from Pickle. That is Pickle, P-C-K-L. Pickle is based in Atlanta, Georgia, and they're a company dedicated to providing high-quality gear for pickleball players of all skill levels to improve their experience on the court. And today, Pickle is going to be talking with us about the latest technology behind their products, including paddles and balls, and specifically how it relates to performance on the court as well as the implications that paddle technology can have on arm care, an important message for all pickleball players. Thanks for coming on, Mitchell. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about Pickle? Yeah. Uh, Again, I'm Mitchell. I work in in kind of e-commerce and digital marketing side, but I'm also the kind of resident uh, pickle head here uh, internally. So I'm uh, always living and breathing pickleball like a lot of people are. Um, so, you know, I definitely lead a lot of the product side as well and testing and seeing, you know, what people like and, um, trying to make sure that we're always kind of making products that are approachable in a package that people actually want. Well, Mitchell, can you tell us a little bit about, um, Pickle and, and their involvement in the game, how long you guys have been around and, and maybe even, um, you know, what, what some of the the trends that you've seen kind of evolving over the years since you've been involved with the game? Yeah, for sure. So we publicly launched in August of 2022. It's kind of whenever our first paddle was available for sale. Um, then there was, you know, product development going on for, you know, up to a year before that. So we actually had all, we're a team that has all worked together uh, in the past. So we all actually used to run a gaming company gaming accessories company called control freak so we made gaming controller accessories for playstation and xbox so it's um good to like be working with a team that we all know and like we've done you know a lot of this stuff before you know a lot of it's a little different you know being a GameStop and best buy versus you know more sporting good retailers or even just the way like people relate to the game and um how kind of online gaming is and how offline pickleball is there's definitely some differences but we all basically got started in the pickleball industry after um that product company was acquired and then we were all playing pickleball at the time and we thought we could really add value in this space by just providing paddles and balls and really just trying to you know provide a product without a bunch of fluff that people can understand like who it's made for what it does and why it's being charged the price it is yeah well i I know as a physical therapist oftentimes you know if clients are are dealing with you know like say a a shoulder or elbow injury you know people often ask me well what what paddle should i be using for you know to help protect my arm and and keep it you know keep it resilient against injury and you know i oftentimes am a little bit hesitant to give them a specific paddle recommendation However, I do like to give them as much information as possible so that they can make the best uh, informed decision um, to, you know, fit their needs and demands. Um, Can you kind of talk to us a little bit about um, some of the um, paddle technology that's um, going on right now uh, and how that's kind of helping to improve players' performance? Yeah, so there's definitely a lot of different ways and then over the years uh past year or two it's changed a bit you know at first it was all just about kind of grit you know like what how rough is the surface we're hitting with and how much spin can you generate um you know now it's getting more towards the how much you know pop the paddles have you know so whenever you're hitting those attack 
punch volleys, you know, how fast can you accelerate that ball to put it away? And there's definitely um, a lot of stuff outside of that as well in terms of just how paddle can provide forgiveness or even like you're, what you're saying with the arm, you know, if like a biggest thing there, um, and I'm sure it's there from your perspective, you probably have a lot more on the, on the, you know, what causes tennis elbow or not. But um, a lot of times on our side, it is, playing with these very very heavy swing weight paddles so more than the you know the paddle being like nine ounces you know if the swing weight's 40 percent higher than a lot of the other paddles um you know they're definitely going to feel that um but in terms of the performance there's definitely a lot of different things and to be honest what ends up happening to me i think is it's really not one paddle that performs best for all players um and it does depend on you know, your play style and what type of shots you're hitting and, um, you know, what your really strengths are. Uh, for instance, like if you're a great soft game player because you just have good touch and, you know, you know, just like you can get out of the bunkers easily on the green, you know, you probably don't need a lot of help on that from maybe you need more help on put away power, but you don't want something that's going to hurt your short game because that's what you lean into the most. Um, so it can definitely vary based on like the type of player they are, but in general, the things that all players really want is, you know, a paddle that feels consistent with a good sweet spot, doesn't have dead spots, you know, that they feel they could play with for a long time. Um, and another one that's, you know, become more kind of recently is, you know, like our, even our newer pro series paddles, we start them at a much lower swing weight. Um, Cause it's always easier to add more weight than it is to remove weight from the paddle. Um, so that's kind of one, one, big one related to the tennis elbow yeah yeah i think that there's so many good things that you mentioned there um and one thing i kind of want to go back to is you kind of talked about the the paddle weight um because i think that's that's an important thing for people to to think about and again as you mentioned it's um when you're selecting a paddle a lot of it really does come down to preference and what feels good but i do think that having uh an understanding that paddles do come in different weights is important because if somebody doesn't have as much upper body strength, then they may want to opt for, you know, something that's a little bit lighter, a little bit easier to, to maneuver around. So they're not, you know, putting so much strain on their upper body uh, or on the wrist and the elbow. Um, could you um, maybe break that down a little bit and maybe what, what kind of defines a light paddle versus a heavy paddle and maybe even that middle range? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, uh, in terms of a lighter paddle, a lot of those are, you know, around seven and a half ounces and in, in static weight and you know even more importantly in swing weight they're around like a hundred or less um so like our power series paddle fits that that uh mark and with the lower swing weight a lot of that's just more um as opposed to the static weight the swing weight's really like how you're feeling the the weight distributed within your hand especially when you're at the kitchen and you're kind of you know you're keeping your wrist upright and you're kind of in that ready position a lot of times whenever you're playing with a heavy or a medium weight or lightweight paddle from the baseline and you're doing full swings you know the axis there is really your shoulder so you're not feeling as much like the distribution of the weight within the paddle as you are just am i you know am i able to flip this paddle face through at impact as much um and that's where you know a head heavy paddle does get better there but you know it could slow you down at the net so that's definitely um kind of trade-offs there and like you said it definitely goes back to preference but 
typically, especially for the amateurs, I recommend starting with a light paddle. You can always add more weight. Um, but then also just cause, you know, as much as we all want to look like the pros, a lot of times, you know, especially on the amateur side, we tend to have big backswings and we're trying to decelerate our arms and the more weight and head weight we have behind that, the harder it's going to be for ourselves um, to really develop that touch. Um, and medium, you know, definitely is where a lot of people kind of fit. You know, I don't recommend a lot of people go play with, you know, a nine and a half ounce paddle that has 140 swing weight. Um, just because, I mean, for one, like the performance benefits, you know, a lot of people feel the performance benefits on drives and those things there, but, um, a lot of people are level are, you know, one in 80% of the points they hit a drive on. So, yeah, it seems like you kind of have to figure out what, what you really want to emphasize in your game, because there's different benefits based off of, you know, your, your game style. So, you know, I think that I've, I've talked to people that, well, in the doubles, I prefer this type of paddle because it allows me to do, you know, this shot a little bit more effectively. But on uh, the other end, they like a, a different weight for, you know, when they're playing singles. Yeah, definitely. That's a very common scenario. They use two different paddles. It's singles versus doubles. People, you know, prefer to that a little bit softer paddle and doubles, or maybe they prefer something that's better for those just punch attack volleys at the net where they can, you know, get a lot of pop there. But on the other end, you know, in doubles, they want the control at the net, but they want to be able to hit that ball hard from the from the baseline uh, in singles. Exactly. And um, you were talking about lead tape, and I think I've seen a lot of players really use that to kind of customize their, their paddle to their, you know, to their preference. Can you, um, you know, share some insight into how people can use that effectively and, and maybe what um, impact it has uh, on the paddle in addition to just maybe adding a little bit of that weight? Yeah, for sure. So definitely, I think lead tape is, you know, maybe it's not fit for everyone, but I think it's the most popular and I think it's the best way to just customize the feel of your paddle. Um, a big part of it is, you know, yeah, what kind of what you're looking for and what benefits you're kind of looking for. A lot of times people typically in pickleball avoid putting a lot of weight around the top of the paddle. Um just again, because they're not trying to have that much extra head weight. And, you know, when you're hitting drives, you know, that may help you kind of get that pedal head flipped through impact a little better, but um, it kind of hurts the, your ability to be as wristy and uh, at the kitchen line, which, you know, doubles is kind of going more and more towards. Um, but lead tape, I typically recommend people to even, you know, initially right whenever they're ready and they're saying you know my paddle's not heavy enough like the immediate setup i tell them is adding some right along the throat you know from where the handle kind of expands outwards to that flat side and then right in there and that's usually a good spot to start because you're getting the effect of adding some more stability to your paddle so when you hit it's not going to rotate in your hand as much so it increases what um a lot of people tall are now talking about twist weight so it kind of gives you a little more stability. You can also get a little more pop and just a little more whip through the ball with that. Um, but at the same time, it's not, you know, decreasing your hand speed so much because you're not adding it to the top of the racket and changing the balance point of this paddle that much. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when it comes to lead tape and I mean, maybe some of the things you mentioned there, like where um, it can allow you to still have the quick hands if you're playing doubles. Is there maybe any indications for 
lead tape positioning on the paddle when it comes to singles versus doubles? Like, would is there any advantage to putting a little bit more weight on the 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 top of the uh, paddle? You know, if you're hitting more ground strokes. Yeah, I think there is definitely. Um, whenever you're hitting more ground strokes, having that that weight, you're kind of just being able to to flip that wristle through a little more. The one difference I will say is the more head weight you do add, um, the harder it is to hold that lag in your wrist when you're hitting drive. So you may kind of feel the sensation of that top of that paddle head kind of flipping forward um, while that weight's kind of transferring. And for a lot of people that can be helpful because, you know, they create too much lag. Maybe they're launching it in the net. We all want to launch it low and, you know, launch it just over that net and have it dip, you know, and land right in the kitchen. But um, especially in singles, you have a lot more room where you don't have to flight it that low that often. Um, Unless, you know, it's the winning passing shot down the line. But (laughs) we, uh, you know, and we all want to hit those as consistently as, you know, a lot of these studs, Connor Garnett or, all the time, so many singles pickleball studs, but um, I do think it's it's helpful in singles to have more weight around the top of the head, just because you're able to get kind of more whip out of the paddle on the ground. And in singles, we haven't seen a lot of you know they get into the net at the pro level, and even ourselves we get into the net, but um, it typically just you're not getting hurt that much because you're not at the net for that long, to be honest. Where you need you know your touch to be that crazy dialed in in a cat and mouse game at the net and singles because the majority of the shots are had happening from the mid quarter of the baseline yeah yeah i mean just another example of you know when it comes to paddles really trying to you know match it up with your game style your swing style as well as you know whether you're playing singles or doubles these are all you know considerations that that you need to be um you know, taking into place when you're yeah, looking at absolutely another common thing from singles to doubles is people might use a thicker paddle and doubles and a thinner paddle and and singles or you know a more controlled paddle and doubles and a more power paddle and singles um it's another kind of common aspect we're starting to see yeah can you talk a little bit more about that and like why why you know a thicker paddle may be more suitable for for this type of, of play versus a, a thinner paddle yeah, I mean, the thicker paddle, a lot of times it is, you know, especially it's getting, you know, the ball's getting sped up a lot more and a thicker paddle, you're able to reset and have a lot more control at the kitchen line. Um, the thinner paddle in doubles, you're able to kind of put, have better put aways, you know, blocks, counters um, in comparison to a thicker paddle. But for singles versus doubles, you know, the, the thicker paddle, Typically, you're getting a little more control. I mean, a lot of people might like that in singles, especially if they're coming from a tennis background where they want to feel that ball dwell on the face a little bit. They don't want to feel it immediately spring off, you know. Um, and if you are that that player, you know, a lot of times they're going towards that, you know, thermoform 16-millimeter paddle or so where they can really kind of – it feels like you're almost trapping that ball um, and launching it rather than just kind of one consistent pop where you're trying to meet it perfectly at the point of contact mm. um and then definitely on the soft paddle on on or you know the thicker paddle on the double side a lot of it's just due to soft game and just how people feel there and then to be honest too a lot of people you know probably not enough people have tested with what thickness paddle they like um there's not a lot of places where you can really get your fair share of trying you know all the different brands and models and thicknesses um 
16 millimeter has become very, very uh, common, um, especially in the amateur side. And you're starting to see pros go more towards 13 and 14 millimeter paddles, but it, it is just part of a, the forgiveness aspect as well. Um, you know, at, at the three, five and beginner level, just how much they feel they're popping the ball up with a soft versus hard paddle. A lot of times it's pretty important. Yeah. Okay. Well, and then uh, you mentioned um, a term that I kind of want to uh, dive into a little bit more as well is, is thermoformed. And because um, you're seeing a lot of different companies kind of advertising, you know, these certain, this certain terminology, whether it's thermoformed or, or a honeycomb core, but I, I'm not sure that, that the, the, buyers necessarily know exactly what that means but they're seeing it kind of across the board as like this is the current trend there are a lot of um that's going into a lot of these paddles can you tell us what thermoform yeah. means or, or maybe any other terminology that that we're kind of seeing pop up right now yeah absolutely yeah, there's definitely a lot of a lot of different kind of uh ways to interpret it and depending on which one you're talking about i mean to start we can start with even just honeycomb because that's a lot of times you know um like right when you get into the game that's kind of one of the first terms that people see is this honeycomb or polypropylene honeycomb or polymer mm -hmm. honeycomb and so typically the front half of that polymer polypropylene that's usually the type of material they're using it's most commonly some type of plastic um typically polypropylene there will can change you know the feel of polypropylene can change based on the makeup material so a lot of you know not all 16 millimeter polypropylene paddles feel the same um but the reason you have honeycomb is just because it's a small and light, um, small and light kind of construction where you basically have these cones where you're not, you know, having one full sheet. And it's a lot of time what they use in airplanes as well. Uh, they'll, they'll typically use Nomex in, in those panels, but those sandwich panels, even if you're thinking about, you know, the walls of the bathroom in an airplane a lot of the time that is a nomex like honeycomb core in the middle because it's strong and light you know and then they're putting fiberglass or other things on either side and kind of enclosing it and that's similar to how the pickleball paddles are made now in some ways um so i mean yeah first one is just in, in honeycomb but then definitely with thermoforming so that's been a very you know hot term and you know six months ago it was all about delamination with thermoform paddles and you know sometimes you hear people say thermoform sometimes you hear people say thermal formed or um <laughs> and you know thermoform is not you know even just you can see a, a package that has like a plastic bubble on it that was fit to the product like even that is technically thermoformed you know like that is a thermoformed piece of plastic so thermoform is really just kind of the process of a lot of times in our space it's usually a heat mold so typically you have, you come, you know, your core and your handle, and usually you're kind of molding it all the way through the handle as well. Sometimes some of the other paddles are kind of only molding it from the throw upwards, but you basically have um, first where they're, if they're doing edge foam injection, which most of the time they are with thermoform paddles, that's basically a process of just adding this kind of foam like material around the perimeter of the paddle inside of it. And then that gives it some more perimeter weighting and the, you know, expands the, the feel of the sweet spot and just, you know, gives you a little bit more forgiveness. And then where the 
thermoform part comes in is where you're basically putting this kind of wall of material around the whole paddle to seal it into one kind of uniform register where it is all just one piece molded through the handle. Um, so it seems like the, that um, that has both maybe durability and some performance implications because, you know, when you're putting it all together, it's going to maybe help with some of that delamination or prevent some of that delamination. And then, as you mentioned, the the edge form, is that what edge you... Edge foam injection, edge, yeah. Edge foam injection, increasing the sweet spot. That seems like that could have some performance implications, but also it could benefit, the, you know, when we're talking about, you know, prevention of some upper arm uh Injuries seems like uh, if you improve the the sweet spot, you know people are going to have less some of the vibra vibration stress uh, getting attenuated up into the the wrist, elbow, shoulder. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and definitely with you know, and typically the the thermoform paddles compared to um, what we call sandwich paddles. So a sandwich paddle would basically just be the you know the core and then two pieces of face material on either side with an edge guard over it. So basically, the difference between thermoforms. Most of the time you're adding in that, that edge foam, sometimes they're not. Um, and then, in, you know, you're molding that in a hot mold that comes down that is basically sealing all of this into one product. Um, the sandwich paddles typically feel softer in comparison. So if you were to put the exact same materials, there's a lot of the ways we do our testing. Um, you know, I'm not giving everyone the paddle with, you know, this is a 13 millimeter with this core, with this face and it's thermoformed and it has edge foam. Like I might just give you paddle A, paddle B and paddle C. One's thermoformed with edge foam, one's thermoformed without it. And one's just a regular sandwich paddle. And I want you to come back and be able to tell me, you know, my drops and resets were better with this paddle, but I felt a lot better with my drives on this paddle. Cause that's the feedback to us. That's helpful to like make a paddle that's actually engineered for the player versus kind of chasing the spec. And it does feel like in the, in the industry, we kind of, a lot of times they're end up chasing the spec and it's less about making it known to the consumer what this does and who it's for as much as it is like, Oh, this is great for everyone and it's worth the extra money. Um well, but thermoforming's all... definitely been kind of the the key proponent of that or the maybe the uh main culprit of that. Yeah, well, I think we we're talking about you know research. It's important to, to really prevent and reduce bias. Um so so that that um, Yeah, absolutely. Because if you yeah, if you if you tell them like yeah, this one's thermoformed and they've all just, you know, they listen to pickleball still and everyone else, uh, all the reviewers, and they're like, Well, I know thermoform's great. So I know I like this one more, you know, yeah. like then it's kind of depriving us as the company of the ability to test in a objective way to say like, what shot are you able to hit in this with this paddle better that you are not with this paddle? Yeah. Um, I think that's just such a key overlooked part. I think, I think we do that with like even pricing of paddles too. We look at something that's, you know, $250 versus 150. We're like, Oh, I should, I should like this one better. This one should be better for my game because it's more expensive. Um, but you know, with that, could you talk a little bit maybe about what makes a paddle more expensive versus maybe even, even going all the way down to maybe some like the entry level paddles? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of it's just the quality materials. And then of course the, it's like when most things in the world, you know, what your source of labor is. So a lot of people are making paddles in Asia and, uh, all across Asia. But, you know, if you have a fiberglass paddle with the thin, cheap core, you know, a lot of companies, you could see, you know, well, that's where a lot of people start. They go on Amazon, they type in the word pickleball, 
they find a four paddle set with a lightning bolt on it for 40 bucks. And, you know, like, yeah, they, they may have paid a dollar fifty to make that paddle, you know, like, um, and they're fine with that. <laughs> um, whereas a lot of the, the kind of price point on the other end is more of the prestige pricing. And we see it in everything, like, you know, even in music gear. You know, like this one should guitar should sound better because $2,500, but I might like that 1200 guitar. It might just feel better in my hands and I might just connect with it better. And maybe I even like the tone of it better. Mm -hmm. And similarly kind of transferring that over to pickleball. It's, you know, first, like whenever they are adding all this extra price, like one, the first thing I, we always like to do is try to make it just approachable. We're not going to make up some technology name. To be honest, like that's the thing that kind of gets under my skin the most in the industry is just trying to make up names and claim things that they're not. You know, we're really just trying to make it simple for everyone to understand what this paddle does, what's in it, you know, what that actually means, translated benefit um, to the player, and then always try to charge a reasonable price. There's definitely a lot of brands out there that are very kind of dark an expert oriented and you feel like maybe I'm not ready for this paddle yet. Mm -hmm. You know, like they make this paddle sound so complex that I don't even think I'm good enough for this paddle yet. Um, whereas, you know, you have something that's more in the mid range that talks in language you can understand. And then, you know, the max price point is around 160 in our line. And it's a lot easier to kind of relate to the player and help them find their fit than kind of each paddle in the lineup claiming it's the new greatest and latest thing. Um, so it definitely kind of changes around a bit, but um, a lot of it can just be, you know, what spec are they chasing or, but the prestige pricing is definitely a, a big effect kind of everywhere, even outside of pickleball. Yeah. And when you're entering into a game, I mean, you don't want to just drop a lot of money at, right off the bat anyway. I mean, you got to figure out whether you like it and um, yeah, it's important to have kind of that entry level paddle that, you know, serves its purpose. And then if you want to, you know, commit to to playing a little bit more, maybe then you start investing in a little more expensive paddle that has some more features that, you know, promote a little bit more spin, a little bit more feel, a little bit more power, but you have to be able to, you know, control and, and achieve those things first. Absolutely. And another thing I really like about the pickle paddles is that they are also very sharp. You know, I think they have a little bit of that like energy with some of the colors too, that are, that are associated on that paddle. And um, so. Yeah. Appreciate uh, that. Yeah. Well, I know that we've talked a lot about paddles, but I know pickle is, is also involved in, um, in some other products too. And, um, so can you share with us a little bit about the, um, you know, the ball technology and, and maybe some of the things that pickles identified in, in, um, in other companies or, or, or trends in the ball that, you know, they wanted to improve upon to improve that, um, experience and feel on the court. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, and that's, uh, we also like where a lot of our just product development expertise is, is in injection and rotational molding. So that's kind of like how you're making balls. So it's kind of the two big categories of balls is um, to make it simpler. An injection molded ball is basically you're shooting material to make a half of a ball, not the entire ball, just half. And then you're welding those two halves together. Whereas a rotational molded ball, like our Elite 40 ball or you know, a Franklin or a Dura, it's basically material being put into the sphere that rotates to spread the material evenly. And then afterwards they drill the holes. And a lot of people are definitely, you know, the average player is typically going towards the rotational molded ball, typically because it feels harder. 
and faster. Um, they are less durable. They'll crack more often, especially depending on the material. And that was the big thing that we wanted to address. Um, so coming into the space, we thoroughly tested it through the cold and, you know, got hundreds of these samples and even had some partners like Southern Pickleball, um, which now we have the official ball of all their tournaments. But, you know, what people didn't see was they had test balls for three months and were able to test and give us feedback and future iterations. And the big thing we're trying to solve there is giving people a ball that doesn't crack or go out of round as easy in the winter. Mm -hmm. That was such a large complaint. Um, and typically people are playing with kind of, if you're a tournament player that plays even in one tournament every three or four months, a lot of times those players end up sticking and playing with the ball. They feel like they have to play in the tournament with. Mm -hmm. um, and then sometimes that can, you know, depends on what the ball is. And, you know, then they show up to court and play with a different ball and they feel like their touch is off. So a lot of it too, is just trying to get consistency and, and kind of what balls are used where, and then even just the feel between balls. Um, so the big thing now is just firmness. So I think for the, for the, our current ball, the elite 40 is really good for just the average player. You know, they want to feel that ball dwell in the face a little bit. They're not, to be frank, they don't need the point to finish any quicker than it already is. You know, a lot of the amateur points were finishing it pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a harder, faster ball is only going to put that thing away easier, or, you know, it's not going to bounce as much and, you know, they're not going to get to the dink or the drop. So we kind of focused on one that would really last and perform in the cold. Um, and then one of the prototypes I'm kind of been working through now is on the other end, um, more what ball is great in the heat and won't soften up and stays hard and stays rounded the heat. Now that you have one that does so in the cold, um, just cause when you're talking about a change of, you know, 50 or sometimes like 60 degrees temperature on the, you know, sometimes people are playing in the thirties. It doesn't sound like it, but you know, the people yeah. up North, they'll go play in the thirties yeah, uh, or in the forties, you know, and definitely in the fifties whenever they start cracking balls. But on the other end, when you're at, you know, 95 degrees outside, all plastics can soften up and it's kind of controlling to what extent does that happen um, without on the other end, you know, making it crack too fast in the winter. Yeah, and we just got through, you know, June, July, and August, um, and here in the in Georgia, and the, the humidity definitely, uh, along with the heat, seems to really impact the ball, and make it a little bit softer. Definitely, and it's something the pros and like, it really pros in every sport. You know, like the golfers show up, they know. Well, for a while, like even for the amateur golfer, we might leave our clubs and our balls in our in our trunk. You know, and even for the player. You know, so right, but whenever we get to the court, you know, our balls and pals are baking in a, you know, 100 degree oven in our trunk or 150 degree oven in our trunk, you know, in direct sunlight. And then it already starts at a softer point. And similarly, in other sports like golf, if a pro golf player goes out there with a golf ball that's already cold, like they know the performance that they are losing with that Um and how intentional they are on how they care for their equipment. And you even talk, hear pros talk about it in golf. And even in pickleball, like Annalie Waters and these players will talk about, you know, how the ball plays when they're playing in, in Arizona versus in Minneapolis. Um, mm -hmm. And how they're able, you know, when that ball is, when it's colder outside and that ball is firmer, you know, they're really just ripping away at that ball. Um where whenever whenever it's softer sometimes they're leaning more in a soft game and you know obviously it depends on the player but 
Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot into just the temperature of your equipment across all sports um, and the effect it has on performance. And that's an important message too. I mean, if you're going to invest in some equipment, like a nice paddle um, and, or just balls too, like it's, um, it's important to take care of that stuff. So, you know, be mindful if you're carrying your stuff around, because you always want to be ready to get out for a game, but you'd be mindful if it's really hot outside that they may, that may have um, an an impact on, on your paddle. Absolutely. And one interesting case I even had was, one of my friends, you know, a lot of us, we, we kind of show up to the court and we change our shoes at the court and he brings one of these like long plastic, uh, like shoe horns. And it had been in his car for so long. And a lot of times those are similar to what you see, like the cheaper Amazon paddles use for their type of plastic on the edge guard. And anyways, he was basically putting on his shoes and he went to go step on that thing and it just shattered that piece oh of plastic goodness. after being in his car, you know, like it just broke into 50 little pieces. You know, it's because it's a little piece of plastic that was in his car for in 50 degree weather for a week or two weeks, you know, yeah. or just constantly for the past year, constantly yeah. changing, you know, hot, cold, hot, cold, and just the effect that has on materials. Um, so definitely that's always a big thing. And just in terms of paddle care and really in anything, you know, if you're a guitar player or whatever, you know, you're not going to leave your guitar in your trunk exposed to the cold and heat. And similarly with your paddle. You know, it's good to keep your stuff in, you know, climate control environments where you're, whether your bag has insulation or you're just bringing your bag inside with you and just not leaving it in your car. Yeah. Well, uh, Mitchell, what about like, um, you know, what overall advice would you give to people, you know, if they're, you know, going into or, or looking to get into pickleball and what advice would you give them when it comes to like selecting a paddle? Um, just maybe some general guidelines. Yeah. So, um, typically, so like we, in our lineup, we have a, our, our starter paddles, really our launch paddle. Um, or if you even start with, you know, your Amazon cheap star. So the biggest thing is just learning the rules and getting into the game and learning how to hit and keep a rally going. And in there, so I typically recommend people to start with a fiberglass paddle, like our launch series, where you're getting a little more pop, you're getting, um, you know, you're not having to swing that hard to get that ball over the net. You get a little bit of control and a feel of a sweet spot with our launch series that you typically just don't get with a lot of those kind of cheap starter paddles. But once you've learned kind of your game, you know, and you've been playing for weeks or months, is really whenever you start to kind of understand what you're looking for in a paddle. And typically what I tell people is like right when you're looking for your second paddle, um, don't race to the top of the line, you know. Uh, wait to give yourself some more time to figure out what it is you truly like. And as you change and get better and start playing with different groups, you might find yourself the need to hit different shots. Um, but typically the first decision people are making on their second paddle is, you know, what do I need help with power or control? That's kind of the two big categories they fall in. So we, we have a power paddle and a control paddle right there. And, you know, right around the hundred dollar price point. Um, and the power paddle being, you know, 89, 99, cause the big thing there is trying to be that, you know, a lot of people still aren't super certain on what they need or what they want at mm-hmm. that stage. And they kind of got to give themselves the, the time to experiment. Whereas, you know, if you go on it, go all in and spend 250 or sometimes $300 on a paddle, you know, you kind of got to convince yourself that you love it. Um, even if, you know, you're someone who's more a control player and you were looking for a soft paddle and this paddle's all pop and you just feel like you can't feel the ball 
then they start to develop their game to fit that paddle rather than developing their game and letting the paddle fit their game. Mm-hmm. Um, so typically it's kind of just get started with a good entry level fiberglass paddle. Then once you're ready to get that second paddle, look for something that where you are able to generate spin, um, which is mostly even with a smooth paddle with no grit. A lot of the spin just comes from your wrist angles and your technique, but once you're able to determine, you know, I'm looking for more control or power leaning into that. And then once you're ready for your third paddle, by then, you know, you started to see more people with different paddles on the core. You probably even tried some from your friends. You started to learn what you do like or don't like. And then really right then around that third paddle is when a lot of people are kind of finding their sweet spot. Yeah. And I think that like when you, buy an entry-level paddle even knowing that you're going to quickly maybe transition to a more advanced paddle i found that i still use that beginner paddle when i'm taking you know friends that haven't played yet out to the court and so i'm always using that that paddle so it's it's going to be um you know a a purchase that's worth it yeah for sure because that paddle is always like very common even though it's just meeting someone who's a um a member at the pickleball club i joined named emma and she you know, she just got her second paddle and she has two starter paddles in her trunk and she does the same thing. Like she's trying to teach people how to play and like, you don't need to bring anything, use these, you know, and you're able to kind of pass it along and you're getting new people in um, and able to learn in a similar way that we were just talking about before they, you know, need to go buy a paddle and figure out what they want besides the design and look of it. Yeah. Well, Mitchell, I absolutely love what Pickle is doing uh, for the game uh, as well as the community. Um, if people were interested in, in kind of uh, learning more about Pickle, some of the resources and products that are available, where can they find where can they find that? Yeah, so on social media, we are uh, at PCKL Ball, PCKLBALL on all social media channels, and then our website is PCKL.com. We also do sell on Amazon and we're in the PGA Tour Superstore. Um, so you can find us in some local places and then we're also in some more local retailers and tennis shops and country clubs and those types of places. But, you know, definitely reach out to us on social media, reach out to us through email um, and we'd be happy to help you find your fit and, you know, have a conversation to make sure you feel comfortable about what it is that you're looking for. And then, you know, yeah, definitely stay in the loop with us, and we're always working on new things. And our big thing is always just trying to relate to the player and be approachable and something that's easy to understand. So uh, we hope that y'all find it that way. And if not, uh, let us know as well. <laughs> well, uh, thanks again, Mitchell, for for coming on. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to getting back on the court with you soon. Absolutely. All right, and thanks, listeners, for tuning into this episode, and be sure to join us next time. Until then, stay healthy, pickleballers.